This is old school Queenie. Today is Sunday, and I like to share the gospel from what I heard today from Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright on uh, WHUR 96.3 Rankin Memorial Chapel. I'm always trying to share the gospel, the word, and I recognize so many, so many pastors who are know how to dissect the Bible. Reverend Wright, Jeremiah Wright, is preaching from uh, the, uh, the book of in the Bible, 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, how David slide, slayed Goliath and He's, his word, here now is the gospel preached by Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright. 17th chapter. We're going to be looking at several of the verses in this chapter, but I want to start reading right now at verse 31 and read down through 40. 1 Samuel 17. Beginning at verse 31, the New Revised Standard Version translates from the Masoretic Vowel Hebrew text as follows. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the draw, jaw, strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I am not used to them. So David removed them. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, the brook, and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. I want you to pray with me this morning on this subject. We've got a major problem. Turn to your neighbor and say, we've got a major problem. Turn on the other side and say, we've got a major problem. We've got a major problem. 
in your private devotional time, some time this week, I want you to read this entire 17th chapter of 1 Samuel because it gives you the whole story and paints a much more detailed picture of the problem that the people of God were faced with. When you read the entire chapter, what you discover is that the people of God had a major problem. Look at verse 1 if you have your Bibles. Verse 1, 1 Samuel 17 says that the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they gathered them at Soko the territory belonging to God's people Soko belonged to Judah the enemy will set up camp in your territory in your church in your ministry in your community in your home the enemy will come right up in there and establish not a beachhead, but headquarters in your territory. And that is what is going on in 1 Samuel 17. Now, now the Philistines were nothing new. This was an old enemy. But if you look at verse 4, 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, it tells you that a new dimension is introduced into an old equation. Verse 4 says, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Look at this brother, would you? Starting at verse 4, he is six cubits and a span. That, that's about ten feet tall. We haven't had yet an NBA season. But some of you can remember back to when we used to have professional basketball on television. And there was a man named Olajuwon. Some of you know Shaq O'Neal. They're around seven feet. This brother is three feet taller than they are. Look, look, he's wearing a helmet of bronze. You know how heavy that is? A helmet, verse 5 says, a helmet of bronze and a coat of mail. Now, that's not the USA mail. He is postal, but that's not the kind of mail. No, 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 no. Mail is a flexible armor of interlinked rings. The weight of his coat is around 150 pounds. You, you didn't hear me. Brother man's coat weighs 150 pounds. This, this is a big dude. He had layers of bronze, the text says, wrapped around his legs and a bronze javelin slung over his back. Verse 7 says the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And since you don't know nothing about weaving, you don't know what they're talking about. I mean, that means you could not get both of your hands around it. It was this fat. That was just the shaft of the spear. And just the head of the spear weighed 19 pounds. And it was not bronze. It was made out of iron. 19 pounds of iron. This, this is like Rambo's worst nightmare scenario here. We, we've got a major problem. Plus, verse 8, look at, but verse 8 says, brother, start talking trash. <laughs> this big bird start selling wolf tickets. Goliath dared anybody to come out and fight him. And verse 11 says, look, look, 
the warriors were dismayed and afraid. We've got a major problem here. Turn back to your neighbor and tell them we got a major problem. This ain't the lawyers, the scribes, or the professors, the Pharisees, those who use their minds and their work, who are afraid. These are the soldiers, the warriors, who are afraid. These are not the preachers and the musicians who, who deal with matters of the spirit. These are professionally trained troops, men who fight and kill, men who face overwhelming odds. The warriors, verse 11 says, were dismayed and afraid. We got a major problem. Look, look, it says the king was afraid. King is scared. Remember, this is no honorary king. This is no ceremonial king. Saul, you will recall, stood head and shoulders above his men. He was a mighty warrior, and they sang of him. Saul has slain his thousands. But this new challenge had him scared. Verse 11 says, when, when you got your troops afraid, you got a major problem. When you got your warrior king scared, that compounds the problem. The one who is supposed to lead his men into battle is dismayed and the Bible says he is greatly afraid. We, we've got a major problem. When you look at 1 Samuel 17 and you look at the last year in the 20th century there are some striking similarities. The Philistines have gathered their armies for battle. The opponents of justice have gathered their armies for battle. Those who are against doing things God's way have gathered their armies for battle. And please note that the word army is plural. There's more than one army. There is an army of angry old men. Some would call them dirty old men. Old men who are short on memory and long on vengeance. Angry old men who don't remember their adulterous affairs. They are short on memory. Mr. Hyde does not remember his adulterous affair. After all, that was way back when he was in his 40s. Mr. Jekyll, short on memory. Mr. Barr doesn't remember his adulterous affair. After all, that was a, a couple of wives ago. Or was it while he was going with this wife while still being married to the second wife and paying for the abortion that he's so strongly against now that he's on his third wife. I, I can't remember. I can't keep up. He can't keep up. Short on memory. Senator Trent Locke can't remember the views of the Council of Conservative Citizens which calls itself pro White, but his uncle, Arnie Watson, former state senator, tax assessor, currently a member of the council's executive board, uncle says Senator Trent Lott is an honorary member. He, he can't remember the views of the council, but he can shepherd the impeachment of President Clinton. Short on memory, long on visions. There's an army of angry old men. Short on memory, long on visions. They, Vengeance. They are out to get the president for his adulterous affair. Vengeance. While conveniently forgetting about their adulterous affairs. Amnesia. Clinton's relationships outside of marriage are classified as high crimes and misdemeanors worthy of impeachment. 
Their relations outside of marriage are classified as youthful transgressions, and boys will be boys. This is a vicious army that will stop at nothing to win their battle. They have already spent over $50 million of your money. They're not only on your territory, they're all up in your pocketbook. That, that's one army. But there is another army. There is an army of racists who are against affirmative action. They have had special privileges on their side ever since this country was founded. And now they are opposed to giving an equal chance or even playing field to the very ones discriminated against de jure and de facto for over 300 years. There is an army of racists and they got the courts on their side. But there is yet another army. Uh, there, there is an army of gatekeepers who control 95% of the resources and who are determined to keep it that way as they use every tactic from redlining to regentrification from double standards standards in the law where you get more time for possession of crack, five times more time for the black man's drug of choice than you do for the possession of cocaine, the white man's drug of choice. From, from double standards in the law to double standards in the media. You can make an animal out of a black basketball player in the media who attacks his coach in a private practice and you ignore a white football player in the media who attacks his coach on national television. Come on. Come on. Double standard. You, 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 you can run every story you can find on Monica Lewinsky and you ignore Republican Representative Robert Barr who made a keynote address to that Council of Conservative Christians, the white racist group. Ignore Senator Lott whose support of that same group is on record from his own lips as, quote, a group which stands for the right principles and the right philosophy. We, we got to turn back your neighbors and we've got a major one army uses every tactic from redlining to regentrification. Another army uses double standards from law enforcement to the media. The armies of the Philistines have gathered for battle. And there's another army. They, they've got an army of inside infiltrators. Spies to undercut any proactive plan. Spies all the way from J.C. Watts to Uncle Clarence Thomas. From Negroes supporting Jesse Helm to Negro preachers gathering tomorrow in Chicago on King's birthday to support a mayor who does not have their people's best interests in mind. We have a major problem. The armies of the Philistines have gathered for There's another army, another army, another army, an army of drug dealers and gangbangers. Gangster rap with Foxy Brown and filthy rap with Lil' Kim. And like 1 Samuel 17 says, they have gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. In other words, they set up camp in the territory of God's people. The enemy does set up headquarters in your territory. In your community, drugs are being sold. In your home, there is filth being played. In your ministries, at your churches, there are other agendas being followed. And in your church, there's opposition from folk who just don't give a damn about nothing. We have a what? Major the Philistines have gathered their army. And, and where are the warriors? Some of them have gone over to the other side.
examine this text, the similarities, similarities become even more striking. In the first instance, they are enlightening. Say enlightening. In the second instance, they are frightening. Say frightening. And in the final instance, they are exciting. Say exciting. Look, look, look with me at these similarities. First, look at the enlightening similarities. What, what looks like a new enemy ain't really a new enemy. Look at the text. The Philistines have been around for a long time. What, what looks like a new enemy is really an old enemy with a new threat. The enemy's identity has not changed. It's got a new threat. Say new threat. See, back in chapter 13 in 1 Samuel, Saul was fighting these same Philistines. This is an old enemy. But when they gather their armies at Soko, they just come with a new threat. We ain't fighting no new enemy. What looks like a new enemy is really an old enemy with a new threat. We've been fighting racists ever since we got here. We've been fighting white supremacy ever since this country was, no, before the country was founded. We, we've been fighting white supremacy ever since the West African slave trade started 500 years ago. This is an old enemy. Yeah. It's just coming with a new threat. We've been fighting Uncle Toms and sell-out Negroes. Go along to get along, darkies and master. Let me tell you what they're doing. We've been fighting them sell-out Negroes for a long time. Yeah. It was a sellout Negro who ran and told the slaveholders on Gabriel Prosser. It was a sellout Negro who ran and told the slaveholders on Denmark VC. It was a sellout Negro who ran and told Massa on Nat Turner. It was a sellout Negro who ran and told Massa where to find John Brown so they could stop that Harper's Ferry thing. It was some sellout Negroes in my city who fought the first and only black mayor we've ever had from the whole time that he got in office. It was sellout Negroes who abandoned Martin Luther King on April 4th, 1967. A year before. See, as long as he sang, we shall overcome. As long as he talked about integrating segregated lunch counters peaceably, the Negroes were in his corner. But on April 4th, 1967, one year before he was killed, when he came out against the Vietnam War in the Riverside Church, on April 4th, 1967, when he called a spade a spade, started talking about dismantling the racist military industrial machine that was the number one purveyor of violence in the world, when he started talking like that, the sellout Negroes left him high and dry. All of them start, yo, we've been dealing with sellout Negroes for a long time. This ain't no new enemy. This is an old enemy with a new threat. Then, then when you look closer, you see that what looks like a new enemy is just oh, really an old enemy with a new strategy. Yeah. Verse 4 says, they done gone and got a giant. <laughs> got them a giant who talk trash and sell wolf tickets. New strategy. They done gone and got Clarence Thomas. Put him as high up in the jurisprudence as you can go. New strategy. Sell out Negro confused about his identity. Thomas said he thought he was the most qualified person for the job. And Judge A. Leon Higginbottom pointed out that not one of those 51 white senators who voted to confirm him as a judge would ever dreamed of retaining him as a lawyer because he'd never practiced no law. 
bailout Negro, confused about his idea. New strategy. They done gone and got them a J.C. Watts. Y'all know what J.C.? The boy named Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar Watts done turned his collar around and called himself a minister. Ain't been nowhere near seminary. Squeaky clean looking, shirt and tie wearing, sellout Negro, confused, conflicted, and in denial. This is a new strategy. We ain't got no more handkerchief head, bandana wearing, shuffling. No, we got black robe wearing, Armani wearing, good looking, highly educated, excuse me, highly trained like seals, sellout Negroes, and Italian labels. This is an old enemy with a new strategy. J.C. and Clarence illustrates sub-point number three. Your old enemy has found himself a new champion. Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, J.C. and Uncle C. in 1999. What looks like a new enemy is really an old enemy with a new threat. Say new threat. With a new strategy. Say new strategy. And with a new champion. Say new champion. Those are the enlightening similarities. Now, now look with me, if you will, at the frightening similarities. But what Saul and Israel discovered is that when you've got an old enemy with a new threat, a new strategy, and some new champions, in a new day, the old methods won't work. You ever seen somebody do the same old thing over and over again? and expect to get different results. That's what this is like. Sometimes what new challenges teach you best is that the old methods ain't gonna work in a new situation. But that is a difficult lesson to learn. Most people who have been doing something one way wanna stick with that same old way, even in a new day. And most times they miss the most important lesson, which is old methods ain't gonna work in new situations. Number one, old methods. Look at old methods always involve putting down young people. Instead of encouraging them, we tend to incarcerate them in old ways of doing stuff, our ways of doing stuff, forgetting that we were once young ourselves and the old people put us down. We forget some of us that once we cross that 50-year-old line, get hair my color. We start putting down young folks, not just y'all in your 20s, no, young folks in their 30s. No matter how excellent their ideas or plans might be, David's own brother put him down. We started reading in verse 31, but I asked you to read this whole chapter when you had a chance. Look at verse 28. His oldest brother, Eliab, put him down. The eldest brother heard him talking. His anger was kindled. Why you come down here? Who'd you leave them sheep with? <laughs> Sometimes young folk with great ideas get put down by folks who are closest to them. This is his brother. Can I get a witness? Back in Chicago, back in Chicago where I passed out, where, where our church sits today, where our members sit right now on Sunday, where our choir sings every week, where I stand to preach the gospel. That property we sit on was offered to us in my first year as pastor for $10,000. There was a former... A&P, which is like your Safeway grocery store there, and a Rexall Drugs, and the owner of the Rexall Drugs bought up the grocery store, and he walked down the block my first year there and said to me, Reverend, I need $10,000 cash. You can have all this property, and you can get your money back just selling off the inventory. 
I'm gonna leave all my pantyhose, all my lipstick. All... Listen, you got ten thousand dollars worth of stuff. You can get your money back. I saw us owning their property. I saw us doing ministry. We were doing ministry today. I was excited. I was anxious because I saw the hand of God at work in that offer. But I was young. I was 72. I was 30, almost 31 years old. And the folk over 50 quickly put me down and put me in my place. We can't use that. A.M.P. didn't want it. Rexall Drugstore is leaving. He can't do nothing with his size. It's right next to the railroad tracks. Plus, it's right next to the project. Instead of encouraging me, they incarcerated me. We got a mortgage we're paying on right now. Let's do one thing at a time. In other words, the seven last words that kill every church in the country. We never did it that way before. Squashed my excitedness, squashed my vision, squashed my ideas, squashed my proposal. Then, 11 years later, hear me, because them older folk wouldn't listen to me, you know that piece of property that was offered to us for $10,000, the same piece of property, we bought it, and it cost us $284,000. Old methods always involve putting down young people instead of encouraging them we incarcerate them in our prisons of thought and our old ways of looking at them then number two the old methods involve telling young people what they can't do we can't do nothing with that building you can't do nothing with that property amp couldn't do nothing with it rex all couldn't do nothing who do you think you will always telling young people what they can do i i had a vision i wanted a church like my family I wanted a church like my family. My family, my mother has an earned doctorate from the University of Pennsylvania. My father has 10 letters behind his name from Virginia Union, BTH, BA, BD, MD, now from Lutheran, Master Sick. Walking there with my four earned degrees. And my grandfather said, Come here, boy. I said, Yes, sir. Because <laughs> them letters behind your name ain't got nothing to do with the church. They got to do with how you make a living. The church has to do with how you make a life. And I wanted a church with JDs and PhDs and DDs and MDs and no Ds and ADCs all together in the same family of God. And they say you can't have no church with educated folk and uneducated folk all in the same congregation. You, you can't do that. You can't have no gospel music in the United Church of Christ congregation. The whole thing is going to fail. The church will die. You can't do that. I had 87 members. I got 250 in one choir right now. Does it look like it's died? I got 7,000 members. No, not 87. 7. Stop. Does it look like it died? They told me in Chicago the same thing I heard right here at Howard University. At Howard University in 1968, they told the young people, you can't have no gospel music at a school like Howard. It will lower our standards of excellence and reduce us to the level of folk music. Told the young people, young black people, you can't have no black music at a black school unless that genre has been approved by master. The Howard University Concert Choir sang anthems and spirituals, and you can't have no bumping and jumping. It will never last. It will soon die out. Thirty-one years later, does it look like it died out? Always telling young people what you can't do. I'm in the text. I'm in the text. Y'all think I ain't in the text. Look at verse 33. Look at verse 33. Look at verse 33. Saul said to David, you can't do that. 
You are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him for you are just a boy. He's been a warrior since he was younger than you. Always telling young folk what they can't do. It ain't gonna work. That plan is crazy. And then look, look, the old methods, number one, not only put down young people, old methods, number two, not only keep telling them what they can't do, but worst of all, we then shackle them with old customs. The stuff that works for us. Look at verse 38, look at it. No, back up, look at the last sentence of verse 37. Saul said, go. You bad? You the man. May the Lord be with you. I ain't going out there with you. You go on. But then look, look at verse 38. He turns right around in verse 38 and shackles David with old stuff. Saul put his armor on David. Old stuff. Old methods. Saul put a bronze helmet on David's head. Old stuff. Old methods. Saul clothed David with a coat of mail. He said, if you ain't got a coat of mail, you need a coat of mail. Goliath got one, you need one. Old stuff. Old method. Saul handed David his weapon. Old stuff. Old method. And Saul thereby put David in shackles. David couldn't move. He tried to walk, but he, he tried in vain. Because he wasn't used to that old stuff. Wasn't used to the old method. What what worked, in other words, in one generation ain't necessarily going to work in another generation. My grandmama made it off anthems and Thomas Dorsey gospel and some songs out the gospel pearl. But I need me a little Richard Smallwood. I need me a little Paul Gatlin. I need me a little John P. Key and a little Trinity. Huh? What worked for one grandma ain't necessarily going to work for me. So look at David. It said he removed the old stuff. Boy, if we weren't on, I had time, I'd tell you what he took off. Can you give me two minutes? Two minutes? Huh? Look at, look, he, he took off dead old white music. He took off dead old white worship. He took off dead old Uncle Tom customs. He laid aside, checking in with Massa to see what was okay for him to do and not to do. That worked in one generation, but he couldn't move trying to carry those old ways in this new day. He took off checking with Massa and, and laid that to the side. He stripped himself of the helmet which says, you got to go along to get along. He got out of that straight jacket that said, these things take time. He put down an old antiquated sword which kept the darkies in their place. He removed what had worked from one old generation and said in so many words, I can't use your stuff. I got to use my stuff. I can't use what works for you. He reached over into the brook and picked up five smooth stones that already had a slingshot in his hand. He was saying, in other words, I got to use what God gave me. If we could just learn that one lesson, it would be an awesome lesson. I can't use what God gave you. I got to use what God gave me. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can't use what God gave you. I got to use what God gave me. The enlightening similarities are, are that what looks like a new enemy is really an old enemy with a new threat, a new strategy, a new champion. The frightening similarities, both in 1 Samuel 17 and in 1999, are that when you use old methods in new situations, what you end up doing 
is one putting down young people, two telling them what they can't do, and then shackling them with old customs and the old instead of encouraging them, we incarcerate them, lock them up in our armor, and tie them down with our traditions. But then when you look again at this text, they're not only enlightening similarities and frightening similarities, but they're also, what did I say? Some exciting similarities. Look at verse 37. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the Lord who saved me from the paw of the bear, that same Lord will save me from the hand of this Philistine. In other words, we got a major problem. Yes, there's no denying that. We've got a major problem, but we also got a mighty God. He's the same God today, thank you Jesus, as he was on yesterday. The same God who made a way out of no way on yesterday is still making a way today. The same God who delivered us from the middle passage, from slavery and from sellout Negroes on yesterday is the same God who is still in the delivering business today. That's the exciting news. He's the same God. He was a way maker then. He's a way maker now. He was a burden bearer then. He's a burden bearer now. He was a heart fixer then. He's a heart fixer now. How did David put it later on? David said, I, I once was young, but now I'm old yet. Have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread? He's the same God today as he was on yesterday. We got a major problem, but we've also got a mighty God. And when you read carefully David's words in verse 37, the Lord saved me from the lion. The Lord saved me from the bear. What David is saying is that this whole thing ain't up to me. It is ultimately up to God. I'm going to do what I can do, but I've got to leave the rest up to the Lord and let God do what God does best. He can use me, but the battle ain't mine, it's his. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Now that don't mean I don't have to fight. It just means that the enemy can't win. Why? Because the last point is this. God can. See, he's already shown me that he can. He saved me from a lion. God can. He saved me from a bear. Already demonstrated that he can. He saved somebody here from drugs and alcohol. God can. He saved somebody here from suicide and self-destruction. God can save somebody here from a toxic relationship. God can. Already demonstrated that he can. But the exciting news is not only that God can, but also that God will. David said the same Lord who saved me in the past will save me in the present. Say this, God can and God will. God will be a fence all around me. God will make a way out of nowhere. God will put food on your table. God will make your enemies your footstools. God will renew your strength. God will save you from the guttermost to the uttermost. God will Take care of you now. somebody right here, right now, looking at me, looking at me. You can't see how you're going to make it. Somebody right now, looking at me, you can't see how we are going to make it. Somebody right now, all you can see is the obstacles, the barriers, the mountains, the misery, the armies. Well, let me suggest two things to you. Number one, the same David said he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy, you looking 
at the enemy. Don't miss the food looking at your foes. Don't miss the table being fixated on the enemies. The Lord is making a way for you. God can and God what? God will. But then number two, let me suggest to you that if all you can see is the obstacles and all you can see are the mountains and all you can see is the enemies and all you can see is the army. If you just can't see how anything positive can possibly get done, let me suggest to you. That's right. You're looking in the wrong direction. Come on. Look back and see what God has already done. Thank you, Lord. Angels changing the world 